Got some folks we're going to be praying for this morning, if you don't mind, as well, as we uh, have the kids are all walking out. How you doing, Rod? A couple of updates here on Azrin and uh, his mom. Is that okay, Patty? Okay. Um, he's struggling a little bit with the surgery that he has. Um, they didn't have to do all of the things that they thought, but uh, he's in a little bit more pain today than, than they probably would care for him to be. His mom and dad uh, have met with the GI surgeons, and they're, they're looking to put a feeding tube in just to help him eat a little bit better. So if we could continue uh, to be in prayer for him, we'll lift him up and we'll remember him before the Lord. But uh, it's, a, you know, it's a little discouraging and it's a little disheartening. I know that his mom isn't feeling well either. She's now sick. So if we could be praying for Valerie as well, uh, that would be great. Um, and, and I'm just looking at what Patty texted me. They can't, they can't come home until he's keeping food in and he's gaining weight. So they're down in Maryland right now. So in, in the midst of all of these things, they're I don't want to say displaced, but they're not at home in the comfort of his own house and their own house. So that makes things difficult for anybody who's had to deal with this. So we just want to continue to keep them in prayer. That would be a wonderful thing. Uh, for Jeff Young as well, we want to keep him in prayer. Um, just continued healing and, uh, and strength as Lord willing, sooner rather than later, he can move on to the next surgery that he needs to help fix his leg. But we want to remember him. Uh, and Mary Flossie's sister as well. We need to continue to keep her and the entire family in prayer. Um, this is for those of you who are just taking notes. Um, so, yeah, why don't we just go into prayer right now before we get into the Word. Spend some time just before the Lord as we lift all these people up. And Father, we just come before you. First off, thankful. As we come to the end of another year, Lord, I know that most of us can reflect back and we've had highs and we've had lows. We've had great moments this past year and we've had some very rough times where we weren't sure about what tomorrow looked like. I know that we've all learned a lot of things and the, the challenges that we've faced. One of the things that I learned most especially is that prayer becomes like breathing. Um, there are times in our lives and in moments where we should be praying without ceasing, as Paul says, but there are those special moments where we feel like every breath that we take is a prayer to you just because we are so concerned with the things that go on about us and we are just looking for answers uh, to the concerns that we have. And we feel that way at times uh, about what goes on in this world as well with all of the things that are going on around this, this globe, from the fracturing of uh, different countries in the EU and the inability to do the things that they need to do over there in Britain to settle these things out the back and forth of kings and kingdoms around this world, um, not just here in the United States. We wrestle with our own things, but we need to be aware of the fact that we live in a global community, Lord, that is just really struggling. And they need Jesus. We all need you. We need to be seeking you, the one who created us and created this world. We pray for wisdom for all the leaders around this world, that they would govern with wisdom, that they would govern with insight. Father, that you would convict those, most especially in places like China, you would convict those leaders for, for their inability to allow free worship. So controlling of their people that most especially Christians and Muslims as well are shut down and put in prison simply because they choose to worship in a way that um, they feel is a threat. Father, we pray for encouragement for the pastors that are in prison right now, for the congregations that have been 
just dispersed in the churches that have been destroyed as a result of um, this clampdown in China. We ask, Lord, that you would encourage us as we struggle with the little things that we deal with, that we would be encouraged and reminded of the wonderful blessings that we have here where we are, the freedom that we have to continue to gather. But there are brothers and sisters of ours around the world in Christ who don't have that. So remind us of that each and every day, most especially, Lord, when we become forgetful and we kind of look at just the things in front of us that are as important as anything else. But Lord, there are those who follow you and who call on the name of Jesus who are suffering daily simply because they're Christian. May we always remember them before your throne. Father, we lift up little Azarin to you and Valerie and Chad, but we pray for healing and we pray for wisdom. We ask that that little boy begin to gain weight and that he begin to keep food down and that the feeding tubes that are necessary, Lord, will begin to work and, and that he would be able to um, be nourished, Lord, in a way that just continues to bring to his body healing and health. We pray your blessing upon him, that your Holy Spirit would just have your hands upon him and, and healing him, even as we pray right now, that you would be encouraging Valerie and Chad, that there is a congregation up here, there's multiple congregations that are in prayer for them and over them right at this moment in time. I pray your healing upon her as well, that you would just take this sickness away from her, that your hands of healing would be upon her, and that you would encourage she and Chad as they're just trying to figure out how this works. You would make them all healthy enough to be able to come home, because we all know that it is much more comforting and much more settling to be in our own house, um, especially as we need to heal and recover from these things. I pray your strength be upon that entire family. I pray for provision as well, Lord, that your hand of provision would be upon them, that the name of Jesus will be glorified and how it is your church reaches out and works on their behalf uh, just for the practical things that they need. Father, we pray your blessing upon them. We pray too for Mary that if that you see fit to call her home, Lord, that your hands would be upon her, that you would in encourage her family and you would bring them comfort. We pray for peace right now in the name of Jesus over their family this morning for Flossie and for Mary. I pray that you would just give wisdom to the folks that are, that are dealing with her and that are caring for her. I pray that you would have your hands upon them, Lord, uh, to make them attentive, to ensure that they are just doing everything that they can possible to make Mary comfortable. We pray your peace be upon that family, most especially this time of year. Lord, we just ask for Jeff as well, that you continue to bring healing and you help take that pain away that he's been dealing with in his leg. I pray that you would strengthen him and you would encourage him. Lord, you would allow him to be able to do the things that he knows he needs to do. I pray that... All right, if you would stand with me, please, in honor of God's word. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Um, I had such a just a, an epiphany this week. I came up with such a wonderful title for this. I, I called it The Wise Men. Um, just figured, you know, wanted to get real creative this week. So there you have it. But as we get into the word this morning, let's just take a look at what it is Matthew has to say to us in relation to these folks. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Ju of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him and assembled all the chief priests and the scribes of the people. He inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. 
And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This too is God's word. You may be seated. Father, soften our hearts and open our minds. Teach us what we need to know this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said, um, I got real creative with the title. I just simply call it The Wise Men. It depends on what version you have that says that they're wise men or otherwise. I don't know. But really what I want us to focus on this morning is, is God's plan to rescue the world from sin through his people Israel is seen in this visit from pagan Gentiles who don't fit the mold. Now, I know that that might not make too much sense at the moment, but his plan to rescue the world from sin through his people Israel is seen in this visit from pagan Gentiles. These are not your normal run-of-the-mill Jewish folks who've showed up from the east to just kind of worship the king. These are pagan Gentiles. They didn't fit the mold then. We don't really fit the mold now. Therefore, it fits very perfectly for us to understand. And I, I dig into this this week, and I was sharing with Pastor Jonah. It was a little bit difficult for me to put this together. I don't really know why, but there you have it. It was a little bit difficult. But probably more than any other people in all of Scripture, more has been written about these wise men from the East than we actually know about these wise men. We can find all kinds of information about these men that we think we know that we really don't know. All kinds of different things. Only Matthew talks about them. You can't find them anywhere else in all of Scripture. And even he gives us very little. He says they came from the east. We assume there were three only because they brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Therefore, we think that there were three of them. Uh, perhaps there were. Um, I have my, my doubts given that all of Jerusalem with the king was turned upside down. I'm not so sure three vagabonds with a couple of gifts showing up in a big city like Jerusalem at the time would turn the whole place on its ear. But that is just speculation, again, like everything else. Some faith traditions even go so far as to name them. So you've got three names that have come out of nowhere, and they assign countries from where these kings or wise men have come from. And the stories that we see, and even the songs that we sing, we sang a couple of them today. We sing about them are based on very little information. So we don't have a whole lot to go on on who these dudes were, except what Matthew tells us in these verses here. Matthew never talks about a stable like Luke did. Remember, we, we talked about this last week, that these people don't make any effort whatsoever, Matthew or Luke, to make this easy for us and make everything line up. Matthew doesn't talk about a stable. He talks about a house. He doesn't talk about a cave either where they would find Jesus. He doesn't talk about any of that. He doesn't even help us out with the time frame of their arrival, at least not directly anyway. I mean, we have a hint of it, and we'll see that next week when we try to figure out exactly, you know, when that star appeared and how old these children are that Herod is going to be all twisted up about. But Matthew gives us this much at least to start. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east, or magi, came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to, what? Worship him. 
What Matthew does for us straight away is what any good historian does. He drops us right into the middle of history with that simple comment. After Jesus was born, when Herod the Great was king in Jerusalem, that's when Jesus was born. We can pretty much date that with some fairly good accuracy. And from that point on, that will be the great challenge for every believer from that moment that Matthew makes this announcement when the wise men show up all the way to today for every believer and every non-believer. The question then becomes, who really is king? Who is really king? The simple statement made by these magi, it seems, where is he who has been born the king of the Jews is going to set in motion at this moment a fight of heavenly consequences and proportions. And it's played out right here in this world as Matthew unfolds this story right up until today. Who is this Jesus? And is he truly the king that these men say he is? You see, there's a problem that we run into here. Herod's already king. Jerusalem has a king. And the records indicate that he hadn't exactly had a son any time recently. So when these guys show up to ask this question to a man with a violent, paranoid, despotic personality, a request like this comes very unsettling and very out of the blue for someone like Herod. And it also becomes very dangerous if people aren't careful. Anybody who does any study on this, Herod the Great, he was not exactly man of the year or father of the year or husband of the year. One of his wives he didn't like, so he removed her. And I'm not saying he sent her away. He removed her. Just decided that she doesn't need to live any longer, and off she goes. One of his sons, who he thought was planning a coup, he took care of him as well. Again, this man was not running for father of the year. And here these wise men show up, and they ask this question. Why is he all concerned? It's a question that we always need to ask because he has a kingdom to protect. That's why. When you're dealing with worldly kings and worldly kingdoms, they become concerned when their throne is somehow threatened. He has a throne to protect. He has power to hold on to. To have a king that is not his offspring is a great threat to his rule. So these people that show up and ask this question put him on notice and unsettle him in a a way that he probably didn't want to be. And this is the challenge which Jesus, even as a baby, even as a little baby, brings to this entire world, isn't it? Let's think this through. He does not share power. Even as an infant, this Jesus of Nazareth does not share power. And he causes the risings and the fallings of kings. And he causes a complete unsettling of a kingdom here just simply by men showing up going, where is the king who was born king, or where is the baby who was born king of the Jews? We need to remember that all kings and kingdoms are in submission to this Jesus. We learned that last week, that what? Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. That what? Jesus is King and Lord. That's a fact. So this innocent little baby, this announcement, this asking, throws everybody for a loop. And the issue that we always see played out is the notion, and we'll see this played out over the next two weeks, this notion that we can actually challenge God for power and rule. Not just in this world, but in our own personal lives. As if somehow we are the masters of our own destiny. And that we can actually rule and run everything the way in which we want to without any kind of problems whatsoever. And we just simply can't do that. And kings and kingdoms can't either. They think they can. But every kingdom from the history of time is on the ash heap of history. Why? Because... 
Kings and kingdoms come and go, but our king is eternal. The psalmist says this, Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together. Against who? The Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. We don't want to obey the king. N.T. Wright puts it this way. What Matthew tells us in these first two verses, what Matthew tells us is political dynamite. Political dynamite. Jesus, Matthew is saying, is the true king of the Jews, and old Herod is the false one, a usurper, an imposter. These wise men, when they showed up, had no idea, no idea what they set in motion when they asked this question. Here they are asking this Herod, where is the true king? I'm not entirely certain that they really did understand what they were asking and just exactly how this was going to play out and what can of worms they opened up at this point. But they did it. Here we are. Pagan Gentiles from the east looking for the seed of Abraham. That to me is a profound thing. They're looking for the true and they're looking for the promised king. But how did they know? How did they come up with this? They followed a star. That's how. Another intriguing thing that we spend all kinds of time trying to figure out that we're not going to spend any time trying to figure out. They simply followed a star. Now one of the last prophetic words given by Balaam, the old prophet for hire, I leave that for you to read in Numbers. That's an interesting story. You become so stubborn and so thick-headed when it comes to what God wants you to do that you stop listening that he gets your barnyard animals to talk to you. So Balaam's got a donkey who's letting him know that you really need to straighten yourself out. But one of the last oracles that comes from Balaam, because he was paid to prophesy against Israel, and he was foolish enough to think that he could defy the king, and the king being the Lord. So every time he gets paid to prophesy against Israel, guess what happens? He prophesies for Israel and against all the kingdoms that keep paying him. Not really a good service that he provides, but again, in Numbers, I leave that for you to read, because it's a bizarre thing when you become that stubborn. And you just will not listen to reason. And all of a sudden your donkey is telling you, hey, idiot, you really need to stop. You really need to stop. So he says in the book of Numbers here, this is what we get in 2417. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It's kind of cryptic in the whole oracle of Balaam in that last thing. But there it sits. And perhaps they read this. Or perhaps they were told this by some Jews who had not gone back to Jerusalem and Israel when they were called back and allowed to be back after the exile. They had been spread all over the kingdom. Perhaps that they had heard this and they understood that that's what was going on. It's really not a whole lot to go on, is it? Not a whole lot to really understand how it is they understood that this star meant something, what it did. But by faith, by faith, they packed up and they headed west. Why? Why would they do that? Because something happened in the heavens which they believed was a sign and it had its counterpart here on earth. That was the belief that they had. So something this huge and this miraculous in the heavens, whatever it ends up being, is irrelevant. It was big enough for these people to think on the other end of this, it has its counterpart working itself out here in this world. Pagan astrologers, that's what they were, stargazers gotten a hold of by the Spirit of God through creation itself. I think that that's a wonderful thing. It's not your standard mode of evangelism, isn't it? Here's the altar, come on up, three points in a prayer, we'll lay hands on you and hope you find Jesus. Through creation itself, pagan astrologers say, on the other end of this sign, there's a king who's been born what? King of the Jews. Okay, that's enough to go on, off we go. 
You see, ancient Near Eastern cultures firmly believed that these types of events meant something not just in the cosmos, but here. So they were motivated to find out what was going on. And we can't miss this. We can't just skip a rock over this and think that this was just kind of a, an offhanded thing that they chose to do because they were bored. This isn't some mystical hokum that, you know, they're just trying to create something or Matthew's trying to create this beautiful picturesque card that we can have. No, but it's a deep-seated belief that this star, whatever this star was, was no accident. That it was very purposeful in the creation and in the plan of God to rescue humanity, and they were right. They were absolutely right. And God uses this star, that sign, to begin calling Gentiles to himself. To begin calling Gentiles like us to himself. A king has been born. A king has been born, and we have to find this king. The faith promised to Abraham is beginning to see its fulfillment right here at the very beginning of the life of Jesus. Pagan Gentiles. Who? Where? We already know the how. Last week we learned that Mary was with child and that it's going to be through this God-man, this Jesus Emmanuel, God with us, who saves us from our sins. We already know the how, but you know, who's it? who is it? Where? That's, these are questions they're asking, Herod. Again, hidden right in plain sight. Hidden right in plain sight, Matthew gives us two totally different responses to the same information. And I think that's also important for us to really gather up as we take a look at this particular text. Because this strikes me. It actually unsettles me and upsets me because I find myself in the same position every once in a while. But we need to remember that we can't think for a moment in time that the 21st century has the market cornered on this spin doctoring. This one news story, the same information, spun whatever way necessary to get the answer that we seem to want to have or simply interpreted through the lens of the benefit threat to me as it plays itself out personally. They have the exact same information and two totally different responses. One we're going to learn this week, one we're going to learn next week. And when we do this as human beings, and we do this, we have to admit, maybe it's just me, but I don't think so. I watch it all the time. We do this. We have to be careful. We forget who really is in charge of this whole deal. See, that's the dangerous thing that occurs, is we forget who is actually ultimately in charge. We begin to panic when the particular person fails to be in power that we think ought to be in power. This is not unique to us. This is why we're praying for the world, why we're looking at the United Kingdom, why we're looking at places like China, why we're looking at places like Germany. This is not unique to us. This is globally. When we forget who actually is in charge of all of these things, when a family member doesn't respond to the things that we, we think they need to respond, why is it my brother doesn't love Jesus the way I do? Why is it my mother wants nothing to do with coming to church and understanding the things that I understand? We get all beside ourselves because it's not working out the way it's supposed to. And they don't feel the way we do. And they're not encouraged the way we are. Why? You see, we begin to feel that pressing in. That we're not really in the control that we'd like to think we are. Again, because we're really not masters of our own destiny. We aren't masters of our own destiny. It's a threat to our own power and how it is we control our own little world. How it is we ensure that we're getting what it is we want. But you see, this is the truth. If we see history as we should, if we understand God for who he is, we see it all through the lens of Scripture. 
And through the doctrine of God's sovereignty over absolutely everything, we find peace and we find comfort no matter where we find ourselves, no matter who is actually in power, no matter the crisis of what's going on. You want to know what that looks like and how that really plays itself out? You read the letter from the Chinese pastor that he posted this past week. I will be respectfully disobedient to the communist government in China. And it cost him his freedom. And he said, my job is to preach the gospel. He knows who's in control. No matter where he sits, no matter what's going on in his life, he finds peace and he finds joy. You see, we are called to pray. We are called to act. No matter what happens around us. Oh. These wise men show up asking for a king. Where is the one that's been born king of the Jews? And Herod hears him, and Herod responds. The king heard this, and he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. This is where I begin to get really unsettled, because these verses amaze me. What's he saying here? Herod hears, but he doesn't listen. He hears, but he doesn't listen. It's kind of like the Charlie Brown voice that you hear when the teacher talks. You have no idea what's going on. He hears, but he doesn't listen. He and all of Jerusalem become troubled with this announcement that's made. Troubled over what? A baby. A baby. This is the threat that this Jesus of Nazareth is to this world. As a baby, even, everybody's troubled. But that's not what gets me. When I take a look at this, it's the fact that he knew right where to go to get the information he needed. That's what unsettles me. That's what bothers me. He knew right where to go. The scripture said this, and it had zero impact on anybody in that room whatsoever. They knew right where to go. Pagans from the east who don't fit any mold of what a Christ follower or a good Jew would have looked like, very little information to go on, traveled somewhere around 800 miles, people are guessing. That's just a guess, but that's probably pretty accurate. To find this king that the star tells of, and Herod and the religious rulers can't walk across the room to read the words that are in the text of Scripture that God has dumped in their lap to understand what's going on with their times. Let that sink in. Because to me, this is key. This is critical for me. It's critical for all of us. This is what unsettles me. This is what unsettles me. Especially in the light of increased persecution of Christians everywhere around this world. We need to understand what the promises of God are in this book. We need to know where we go when we are struggling. We need to be here to understand what God has for us. Are you reading your scriptures every day? Because I'm going to say to you, pastorally, if you're too busy to open up your scriptures and read them, you're booking yourself too tight. You are booking yourself too tight. Now, I understand that I live in this. I get that. But I didn't always used to be a pastor. I just got up very early during the day. I'm not telling you you have to do that. I know I'm crazy. Four o'clock in the morning is probably too early for humans to be up. But there I am. But you need to carve out time to get into this book. I'm not talking about studying entire sections of it. Even if you only read two verses and pray. Even if you just settle your heart around the throne of God around one verse. Are you getting into the scriptures every day? 
Do you have time carved out to do that? Are you looking to the one for whom the star talks about every day? It is the only way that you and I will navigate and survive what this world has to throw at us. If we are not anchored and rooted in the word of God, if we cannot get from the couch to where it is to read it, we're booking ourselves too tight. Even just a little bit of it. I leave that with you to ponder and sink in. I have my own convictions about that for myself, but I want to challenge you. Even if you start with five minutes or ten minutes in a day, get into the Word. Get into the Word. They told him, the scribes and Pharisees, they knew right where to go. In Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Boom. Oh, yeah, we know where it is. It's right here. Hidden in plain sight is the plan of God and the mystery of his will for this world. And they're like, yeah, we know where it is there, king, O king. Right here. Micah, that crazy guy from about six or 700 years ago, this is what he wrote. That little place five miles south of us is going to be a problem for us. Hidden in plain sight. That not only will he shepherd his people, Israel, but he will call from among the nations a people for his own. That's beautiful. This is what Matthew's trying to tell us through his including of these pagan wise men from the east. That's why he's put them within this story. Why it's important that we know that they showed up. Why? Because God is calling a people to himself. He's calling a people to himself from all the corners of the world, from all the corners of the world, that those who throughout Jesus' ministry would reject and antagonize him, do so from the outset, is very, very clear. If you read the rest of chapter 2, and we'll look at that next week, they have no intent on worshiping this king. The scribes, the Pharisees, and anybody else who wants to hold power, this little baby who's in a diaper at this point, somewhere south of Jerusalem, is a grave concern to these people. The truth of God right in front of them. And they refuse to believe. And they refuse to believe. Why? Because it's a challenge to their power and to their sovereignty. And I say to you, I use myself as an example. When I push back against this book, 100% of the time it's because I don't like what this book says about what I need to do to bring myself in line with this book. Now I leave that for you to ponder through. But when I am confronted with stuff that I don't like, I have a choice at that moment in time. Am I going to put myself in the position of being in submission to my king or am I going to think I'm going to be my own king and hold on to the power that I want to hold on to? See, John was right. John was real clear when he wrote in the very first chapter of his gospel when he said he came to his own and his own people, what? Did not receive him. The very one that had been promised from the time of Abraham, they looked and said, no, no, not going to happen. See, this wasn't a failure of God's plan and God's rescue mission in this world, not at all. Some people think that, though. Some people think that because it didn't work out the way it was supposed to, that this is some massive failure, that somehow Israel himself or itself failed in its vocation. 
So God had to make other plans because he was absolutely shocked that it didn't turn out the way that he had hoped it would. No, that, that's not how it works. This is exactly how God intended it to be. Exactly how he is calling a people to himself as his own that we discover in the unfolding mystery and the sovereignty of God is going to include both people of Israel and the Gentile nations. That's what we call the elect. I don't know, we don't, as Pentecostals, we don't want to talk about that, but that's what we call the elect. Those whom God has called out of the people of Israel and the Gentile world, putting them together, that is the people of God in this world, the church. That God is calling a people to himself. It's not a failure of his plan. And he would do all of this through the Messiah King. The very one these wise men are looking for. Let's remember the promise made to Abraham, the father of our faith journeys. When Abraham was told to go, he went. When we're told to go, we go. Or we don't. When we're told to do this, we, we either do or we don't. We exercise faith. Genesis 12.3 says, In you all the families of the earth shall be what? Blessed. This is the working out of the promise of God to Abraham, who in faith went, not having all the answers. The same thing as these wise men. Right at the very beginning of Jesus' life, we see this working itself out. It's a beautiful story. God calling a people to himself is not contingent upon your birth. It's not contingent upon your geographical location. It is not contingent upon your ethnic background, your societal standing, your education, your gender, whether you're male or female. It has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with God's sovereign election and your willingness to step into what it is He's calling you Yes, Lord, I see that you are the king. I will follow you. I will give my life to you. Are you willing to step in and hear the voice of God in your life? Are you willing to step in and see the star in the sky and be drawn to look for the one who is king of the Jews? It's the bumper sticker. Wise men still seek him. It's probably one of the few that I actually like. I wouldn't put it on my car, but I like it. Because it's true. You see, 2,000 years on and exactly 5,527 miles apart. Because I Googled it. That's how far it is from Virgin's Center to Bethlehem, Israel Center. 5,527 miles. The plan of salvation from those afar is unfolding for you and for me. That's the promise and the hope of God. That's why the wise men traveled. Salvation unfolds for us. God is calling you. He's calling me. This story is timeless. Its implications are global and eternal. Matthew telling us of these wise men from the east gives me hope and reminds me every day of God's providence and his goodness in my life and in your life. He cares that much for each and every one of you. He passionately loves each and every one of you to the point where he will go to the ends of the earth to ensure that you hear about who he is. Wise men. Much has been made about these guys, and it's clear at least that they don't fit no Christian mold anywhere that I can see. They didn't even fit the Jewish mold. They were what they called, as I've said, astrologers. 
They read the stars. They were magicians. They would read the signs of the times. Nobody you'd want to set up in the front of your church and say, hey, let us know what's happening with the world. Not at all. But you see, the book, God's book of nature, as John Polkinghorn would say, they looked out the window. They didn't have the book, but they had the book. And all creation speaks of who he is. All creation speaks of who he is. These are the men who, if we're honest, we think twice about believing the story that they were saying and whether they could actually be used by God in his plan to rescue broken people because they are so outside of the box. Oh, I want to know who's born king of the Jews. I'm following that star in the sky. It's a little strange. I mean, let's be real. If someone knocked on my door and that was what they led with, probably not going to buy it. Probably not going to buy it. They're the best example of broken people used by God to advance his plan in this broken world. Broken people reaching broken people. Were it not for their advice to Joseph to get on out of town and then their decision to go a different route home, it perhaps might have ended in Bethlehem. But it didn't. Now, Raymond Brown, probably one of the best sources on the birth narrative, says this. The presence of Gentile worshipers in Matthew's community was not the result of a failure in God's plan for Israel. It was the continuity and fulfillment of a plan of salvation for those from afar to be accomplished through the Messiah and Israel. It was exactly the way God wanted it. Brown continues, There is not the slightest hint of conversion or false practice in Matthew's description of the Magi. They are wholly admirable. They represent the best of pagan love and religious perceptivity which has come to seek Jesus through revelation in nature. They bow down and they worship him. All they have is a star and perhaps two prophetic words that we can nail down. And they give gifts to this little baby. And they worship him. One of the best examples of belief by faith even though they saw belief by faith that you can come up with. Why? Well, they followed a star because the God who put the stars in the sky and called each one by name drew them. And we'll land this plane in a minute. Let's think on this, because this is what's important for each of us. Psalm 8 which I read, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? That's a beautiful question. That's a beautiful question because I know myself and I'm not entirely certain that he ought to be mindful of me, but I'm glad that he is. I'm glad that he is. Isaiah says this in Isaiah 40. Came to me this morning or actually yesterday. Lift up your eyes and see who created these. He who brings out their hosts by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. The very one who put every star in the sky that you look at at night has every hair on your head numbered. For some of you, it takes a little longer to count than others. But he has numbered every hair on your head. He knows when every sparrow falls. And he keeps the universe where it belongs. And he deeply cares for you. 
and for me and for a world that is absolutely lost. And he called and cares for these men. They exercise faith. Faith in what little they had to go on. They knew that they were looking for a king on the other end of this star. And everyone's faith journey looks a little different. Don't try to make somebody else's faith journey fit into yours. It doesn't work. My road to get to where I'm standing is dynamically different than Jordan's. And Jordan's is dynamically different than Doug's. I could go on and on and on. Everybody has a faith journey because we're all wired differently. We're uniquely created by God. And it needs to look different because God is calling himself a people from everywhere on this planet. And with this I close, probably thankfully so, as the worship team comes up. John, in the last letter that we have in the New Testament, Revelation chapter 7, I've read this before and it fits. A great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, what salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, and to the Lamb. These wise men didn't have all the answers. They didn't have all the answers. What they had was a sign and they had the faith to go. They had the faith to go. They had the faith necessary, in fact, to get up off the couch and out of their comfort zone and follow that star, something Herod wouldn't even do. And that faith journey brought them face to face with the king of the universe. That faith journey brought them face to face with the king of the universe. So how are we all doing on our faith journey? Each one of us needs to wrestle that through. Celebrate those places we're doing well and thank the Lord for strengthening us. Those places we need to shore up a little bit more this Christmas season. We need to ask the Lord to really speak into those areas we're struggling with. I challenge you to do that. As those who pray, if you could take your places now, I want to encourage you even now. If there's an area within your faith journey that you're struggling with this morning, whatever that looks like, I don't want you to be embarrassed. I don't want you to be ashamed. I don't want you to feel like you can't come and get prayer. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are part of the family of God. And if there is something that you are struggling with, what better place, what better place than to get prayer here? What better place than to get prayer here? Come face to face with a little baby in a manger who you discover is the king of the universe, who you will also discover has the answer to every question you could ever have for whatever you're dealing with. Let's stand. So we close in song, Lord. I just pray that if there's anybody here in need of prayer, Father, that you would just stir their hearts, that today if they heard your voice, that they, they wouldn't allow themselves to just stay where they are, but that they would be encouraged by your Holy Spirit to step out. Embolden them, Lord. Help us to hear your voice this morning as we sing this last song. Help us to seek you in prayer, to worship you, and to follow that star.